And welcome to episode 134 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. I am not going to pull any punches and play any weird tricks on him. Uh, we are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your weekend and your week? Uh, you Well, you took most of a week off there a couple of weeks ago and went uh, fishing and we pre-recorded some podcasts and put those out. But uh, how, how has your time been away from podcasting? <laughs> uh, kind of nice. Nice to have a little break. Um, yeah, I was... I was way up north in our in our province here of Saskatchewan on a pretty remote, secluded fishing trip. It was a fly-in, uh, like you fly, you get on a float plane, you fly into the lake, you land on the lake, you get off the plane, they leave you, and they come back in four or five days, and it was awesome. Um, but you know, so you and I live at what fifty degrees latitude, yeah. and this was about fifty-six degrees. And I'll like, there was no observing happening up no. there. Um, you know, the, it really didn't get dark ever, you know, it got darker for maybe an hour, but it's, you know, it certainly wasn't dark enough to, to do any kind of meaningful observing. So, yep. uh, I really didn't do much other than a little bit of, um, uh, solar observing on the weekend when I got back. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. Like, I mean, I've, <laughs> You know, I've always, I, I, I want to see the picture sometime. We haven't kind of connected since. And, uh, I really do want to see these. Like, uh, I had another buddy of mine who, who was away fishing. I'm like, I want to see fo- like this fast. I'm, I'm probably never going to do this, but it's one of those things that I'm, I'm incredibly fascinated by. How was it landing and taking off a lake in a float plane? <laughs> I think all planes should do that. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe Whether it. Whether equipped or not, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. No, I was, I was really surprised. I, I thought for sure landing would be a little rough, you know, cause when you hit water at high speeds, like it's almost like concrete, but I tell right. you, if your eyes were closed, I don't think you would really know that you landed. It was so smooth. It was incredible. Is that so? Yeah. Yeah. No, huh. it was fun. And, and, you know, you, you look on a map and Northern Saskatchewan uh, on a map has a, a lot of lakes, but I just didn't get an appreciation for how many lakes until you're up in the sky and, and you see like the land is just like dotted with all these like, you know, lakes, different sizes, a lot of smaller ones, but some larger ones and river systems connecting them all. And it's, it's Canadian shield up there. So it's, you know, it's a lot of rock with kind of trees growing in the cracks and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it was pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. So, so I didn't know Saskatchewan had any lakes. And in fact, like we live in, in Regina, there, there's a place now they have strange names for the lakes, at least in my opinion, I'm not, I'm not from here. You, You grew up with it. You're just used to it. But when I heard there was a place called Regina beach, I thought that either it was a joke or a bar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Turns out it's both. No, it, there, there's real beaches, like, you know, they, they're, they're lake beaches. And what they've done is they've gone in and, and brought in some uh, sand and other materials, I, I guess. I don't know how, how much, if any of it is, is natural beachfront, although, I mean, they have like water frontage. Oh yeah. A lot of, a lot of that is natural beach. Um, oh, is it? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, some, in some areas they may have taken back some of the trees or some of the grass, but um for the most okay. part, there, there was some sand at the very beginning, but yeah. Huh? Yeah. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of uh, surprising. I've, I've been spending, uh, some time up at, uh, up at one of the beaches. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, uh, so you just had some solar observing in. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really good. Like 
for, for any of the solar observers out there, I really recommend starting your session as early in the day as you can. And, um, when I, when I was doing it on Sunday, uh, I started at about, I think 8am and the seeing was really, really good. So I was really able to ramp up the magnification and, and I've noticed this before, like the morning air, you know, you're, you're, it's, it hasn't heated up to the point where you're running into the awful seeing that, you know, often accompanies the day. Um, so seeing was really good until about nine 30 and then that, that daytime heating started and, and it really diminished. And then I stopped my session, but until then, yeah, it was phenomenal. There's some outstanding prominences again, you know, it's, it's hard to put words to describe the prominences because they're, they are so unique every time. Um, but I just love observing them, especially when you can use high power because the seeing supports it. It's, it's pretty fun. All I have to say is I love the smell of solar observing in the morning. There you go. <laughs> How about you? What, uh, what observing did you get done? Yeah. So, uh, like I was kind of telling you about, um, kind of trying out a, a new site, hopefully, uh, hopefully it, it, it pans out for observing, uh, certainly, uh, is looking good. Um, took my telescope up, didn't bother setting it up cause it's really just in the, in the scouting phase now, but, uh, yeah, took uh, just took my seven by thirty fives and did a pan around. Did a lot of uh, naked eye observing, seeing seeing what's what. Um, naked eye, yeah, had a good long look at the double cluster. Um, definitely, uh, you know, could see a lot of the uh, stars up in that uh, Perseus, uh, Cassiopeia, Andromeda region. Like that's a very star rich region that's uh, rising in our north uh, eastern sky in these nights. So really enjoyed that. Uh, took the binoculars up on a hill and had a nice long view at uh, M4, Messier 4 there just off of uh, Antares. And, you know, the thing that always gets me with M4 is, is how big it looks when it's at the meridian, when it's at the highest point that it gets in our skies. Um, when you get it on a nice, still clear night, uh, it's huge. How, how big is it? Like how much of the sky does it occupy? Do well, you know that offhand? I could look it up here too. I I don't, uh, I don't, but I feel like it's got to be somewhere like around, uh, you know, close to the full moon. It's not quite the full moon, but um, let's see. I'm looking for Messier four size. Let's see. And it gives me the uh, distance and light years and apparently 26. Oh yeah. 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 26. Uh, what is that? Is that arc seconds or minutes? Minutes. Yeah. Oh, geez. So it's big, right? It's huge. Yeah. So that's what? That's almost that's almost the size of the moon. The moon would be what, 30 or something like that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because the moon's half a degree. So this is just just a little bit less than half a degree. It's like 0.4 of a degree or something. Um, hmm. yeah, yeah. Would be uh maybe a little bit larger than that, even. Anyway, um, yeah, had a nice long look at that. Um yeah, I guess, well, here tonight we have the uh, conjunction of Venus and, uh, and Mars. So I was looking at that just uh, just naked eye. Um, yeah, just just take a look. Um, just a, a nice uh, gander. And then last night, I, I, I was telling you before the podcast, I won't get into all the, the dirty details, but I had a bad storm come in on me. And uh, I think, well, it, it was the worst storm that I, I'd ever seen. I've seen a lot of bad storms, as you know. I've spent a lot of time uh, out camped in the uh, in the Saskatchewan wilds, and we can have bad uh, summer storms. And I we, I saw this one coming on the radar, 
Um, and I didn't think it was going to come anywhere near us. I thought it was going to go to the North by like a hundred kilometers or more. And, uh, and yeah, we got the bad spot. We got the bad spot on it and, uh, yeah, did a fair bit of damage around the area I was in and yeah, knocked all the trees down and, uh, yeah, nobody was going anywhere for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Quite the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully nobody was really hurt and it was just some trees knocked over. Yeah. Yeah. A few roofs. I saw a few roofs peeled up. So one really bad, only, uh, like maybe less than a hundred meters away from where I was. Uh, yeah, I saw a roof come off. So Yikes. I didn't see it come off. It had come off because when the storm was raging, you weren't seeing anything. There was like, honestly, there was five seconds just like, I'm used to really bad storms and I've been in all kinds of bad storms, but there was five seconds on this thing and I've never seen anything like it. It was just, I've been in hurricanes with 160, 180 kilometer hour winds. And this just, this just blew that away. So Mm. I I was saying had to be 200 there for just a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And I thought if it gets any worse, that's going to be like, like, I don't know, like 200 kilometer hour winds. I think, you know, you're gonna be okay first few seconds. But after that, I think it, uh, things get pretty sketchy, pretty, pretty quick. I don't think, uh, you know, I think, I think things just, everything starts coming apart and, uh, becomes a projectile. So yeah, there was a, there was a giant piece of wood that somebody had cut nearby where I was, that was like a timber, I don't know, maybe 10 inches by 10 inches. And uh, so you know what, you know what that is. And it was about four feet long and sharp on one end. And that was thrown a considerable distance. So you know, like Oof. that's the, that's the kind of wind that was around. Yeah. So unfortunately yeah, I saw some damage to homes, just roofs. So, you know, like you said, um, hopefully nobody, nobody here didn't hear of anything, did a big walk around, didn't hear any ambulances or anything. So, and like I said, it just lasted, I think we were just like, I think we were actually just in the really bad spot right where we were. I think it was just like one little spot and that was just really bad right there. And then, uh, cause once we get out of that, it, everything was fine. Like a hundred meters in every direction was no problem really. But, uh, yeah, right where we were, it was bad news. So we're going to do a light pollution episode next, but, uh, just really sort of quick update. Did they convert your lights on your street yet? I don't think so. I'll, I'll check them out tonight. I haven't noticed anything. Um, oh, you'll notice I, it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. So, so I think they're converting, uh, everything to LEDs, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's good news, bad news kind of thing. So in general, it's darker. So if you're, if you're outside the city or you're, you're outside, you know, once you get away from them by about a hundred or so meters, then it's okay. Like they're, they're way better. And you can see like, you know, once you're outside of the, um, like the, the direction of the light, it's a lot better, but it's hard to get that far from a light in the city. And so that's, uh, that's a problem. And then when you're in that stream, it's kind of a a showstopper. So before, like I could go out and sit up on my driveway and observe, but these are so bright that you don't want to look anywhere near them. Like it's like looking at the sun, you know, like, wow. so it's, it's a problem. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to make some calls and see if they can come and adjust them in general. I think it's good. It's supposed to be better for the environment and blah, 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 blah. But I, I did talk to some people and apparently they have them tuned up 30% higher than they're supposed to. And, and that's a lot considering how bright they are. And then uh, the other thing is, is they haven't, they, they're supposed to do like a, like a proper adjustment when they put them up. I saw them throw like a six inch 
um, level are on it, but you know, thumbs up all good took off. And like that light is off by, I don't know, a scooch. And then when they're off by a scooch, it just lights up the area. So like my, my yard is it's dimmer, but when you're, when you're in the, in the area where that is cast, if you look anywhere near it, it's just so bright and distracting. Um, you really can't observe, unfortunately, even though it's weird cause it's darker, but that one little spot where the light is, is like, it seems like it's about a hundred times brighter. Yeah. Just a really focused beam, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're anywhere, anywhere that beam is falling, I don't know. I don't know if you can observe. So it's, un- it's unfortunate. So yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to watch to see what it looks like when they do mine. Yeah. So when they do yours, cause I wish I'd known this before when they do yours, like, like, like really, like if you can be around, like I was, I actually watched them change mine. I just, you know, didn't know what to do, but they can be angled and they can be dimmed by 30%. And they honestly should be doing that because they're, they are 30% too bright for sure. Like they, they put, they put ones in and they're not, they're not, they're not installing them properly. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're IDA compliant, but again, like unless you're a hundred meters away, it's not really going to, if you have a rooftop observatory, I said to Rebecca, I said, like, if you're on the roof, it'd be way darker. Like if you go walk out into our, into a, like a park here that you, where you can get like a hundred meters away from them, it's darker. Like for sure. Like I can see Milky Way where I couldn't before, like hundred percent they're, they're, they're doing a great deal of good once you're outside of their, their beam. But when you're inside of the beam, when you're close to any of those lights by hundred meters, it's like, it's not great. So yeah. So anyway, that's happening. Fun, fun, fun. I tested out my Amber light. Okay. And so I got an Amber, I had a, this is kind of a weird thing, but I've never had an astronomy light that's dedicated for astronomy that I paid for. I always just had ones that I got free with telescopes or, or with a kit or something like that. And I was doing a lot of digging because I, I got a really good one when I bought my tack last year, I had it thrown in and Stefan had a broken one that he threw in with the deal. And I really liked it. And it was by, um, I forget the name of the light it's called, I don't know, but it's by Rigel systems, but it was just like their most inexpensive light. And I was like, I like this light. It's really good. Um, I'm going to buy another one. But anyway, so a year later, I, I started looking around and we had talked before about using amber lights instead of red lights. And I thought, Hey, they will custom make you a light for no, I don't think it's any additional cost or it wasn't much. It's still expensive to get it shipped. Unfortunately, cause it, you know, you have to get it shipped from the factory instead of just buying it from a distributor. Cause no distributor is gonna, I don't, I don't think they would do this. So I had a set, it's two sets of lights. One set is your regular red LEDs like we use for astronomy, but I really like the Rigel um, red LEDs. And my other set is amber. And this works. This is really good. It's almost like having a regular flashlight, but it doesn't, it doesn't really seem to impact your night vision like a regular flashlight does. Not quite as good as the red, but it works very well. <laughs> um, does it, is it a like fully dimmable or just one yep. level of brightness? Okay. Nope. Okay. Yeah, you can dim it, uh, you can dim it right down and, uh, just like the red, the red side, and then you can turn it up so bright. I mean, you can actually turn it up so bright. It is too bright when it's on the brightest setting. Um, but it's really cool. Cause you, I can flip back and forth and compare them. 
which I hadn't really thought of. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. You have these two sets and they both have the, they're on the same potentiometer. Just you flip it one way and it's red, you flip it the other way and it's amber. So yeah, when I was like, when I was walking, cause I was evaluating the site. So I'm walking around on in these different areas and I'm not that familiar with the land yet. So, and it's, yeah, I mean, it undulates and it's steep in a place. So, you know, you really got to be careful. There's, there's also cactus there <laughs> as there isn't any good observing site. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you, you just want to make sure that you're, you know, being careful. I, I don't want to step on the cactus. I really like cactus. So it's both for, for my own safety as well as for the safety of the cacti. Um, yeah. So that was great to have that. And then when I kind of got to where I was going, I flipped over to the red side. So it's, it's quite beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful combination, way more money than I ever would spend on a light. I mean, I got to think about it. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm probably going to do a lot more astronomy, I hope. And, uh, ho- hopefully it's a good investment, but, uh, yeah, I think it was 60 bucks like us or no Canadian shipped to my door. It was 30 for the light and then 30 for the shipping. <laughs> so anyway, there's well, that. Yeah. And if it lasts you a long time, you know, you're, you'll definitely get your money out of it, uh, with the amount uh, that you go out and observe. So, um, yeah, you know, for, for, object or like, you know, gear like that or accessories like that. If you're, if you're going to use it and it makes the observing a little bit better then you know, why not? The, what is the old saying? Buy, buy nice or buy twice. You know? so. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I'd never really bought a red LED before. I just, I just kept getting like for my sort of astronomy lights, I was just getting them thrown in with other gear when I was mm-hmm. buying other gear. So I'd get it thrown in as like a package deal. Um, Typically, you don't get much of a discount on astronomy gear. So I kind of be like, hey, can I have a red LED with these, this eyepiece or whatever it is I'm buying? And uh, most of the time they'd say no. And the odd time they say yes. And then I'd get one. And then a couple of years ago, I was at a star party and uh, one of the vendors, can't remember who it was, was not giving away red LEDs, but they had a whole box of ones that were broken from Skywatcher. So I kind of put together four or five and I think they were five bucks five bucks a piece or five for $5. So, so they're like real astronomy lights, but they're, they're the absolute cheapest ones. And uh, I noticed with this, this uh, first led that I had from Rigel, um, the red on it is quite a bit better than the absolute cheapest ones that I've, I've always had so far. And so that's kind of why I decided to kind of bite the bullet. And, you know, since I was going to get one anyway, I thought, well, I'll just get a custom made one exactly what I want. And uh, anyway, I, I wish, I wish I knew that it was going to be this good. Cause I probably would have just convinced you and Mike to get them too. And then we could have split the shipping and that's probably the way to do it. Maybe, maybe in the future, we'll set up like a, like a group buy or something. I don't know, but that's that mosquitoes. They're everywhere. <laughs> almost, almost 50 times worse this year than last year. Yeah. 40, 49 times worse. I've made my blood bank of the mosquitoes. I don't know about you. Yeah, they're not good. Um, Last year was extremely low, so I'm not surprised that they're a lot higher, but they, they are pretty bad. You need, you need some sort of bug repellent out there. I, I don't know if we're unique in that regard here in our little city, or if it's kind of a rampant problem in other places too, but yeah, they are bad. Yeah, so they're about as bad here, like around here, as they are at my folks' place back in in the Maritimes by, and they own part of a swamp. Um, so that's kind of the level that they're at. So they're at swamp levels 
everywhere here. They seem to be settling down recently. So fingers crossed. I don't know. Not great anyway. So mm-hmm. even, even if it had been clear like two weeks ago, I think, I think it was clear one night and I set up and I did maybe 15 minutes. I think I talked about that observing session and I just, you know, as much as I love observing, it just wasn't happening. And I heard of people going out with like two, um, what are they called? Those, those repellent systems and bug repellent on and it not even touching them. So it's, it's that bad. There's, there's nothing you could really do to mitigate it. Yeah. You know, and, and something I don't know if we've really talked about, Chris, it is kind of like, how do you deal with mosquitoes when observing? And, um, I think you and I share some similar views on this. And, and I think the number of the first point is neither one of us like mosquito repellent, like no. the spray stuff in particular, when yeah. you're around optics, because that stuff will, will murder your coatings on your telescope or your eyepieces. Um, so we typically recommend that if you, or at least my, my own personal practice is I just don't even put it on me. No. Um, what I have done in the past, like the day before, <clears throat> excuse me, I go observing, I may spray a little bit on like my toque. Yeah. Um, and then I put that on the next day and, yeah. and, you know, I think it, it keeps some of the mosquitoes away and then it kind of, you know, protects my optics too. So, um, you know, number one, I would say, keep the sprays away. Um, but one thing I like, it seems to do okay is, is those thermocells. Now, you know, they're, it's, it's kind of an odorless thing that you ignite and you place it a little ways away and it creates a bit of a zone of, um, you know, kind of mosquito repellent in a way in the air. Mm-hmm. But, um, th- there is a point where the mosquitoes just don't care about that thing either and, yep. and they'll overcome it. So that we're, we're in that zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely are. And, um, you know, if, if you kind of, I think moderate to light levels of mosquitoes, those things, uh, do pretty good. Yep. Um, and then I have some of that, um, like there's, there's new clothing out there that has like a natural kind of mosquito repellent in the clothing. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, uh, testing that stuff out up North when I was fishing and I don't think it works very well either. Like when the mosquitoes are this intense, um, it just, yeah, yeah. wasn't super effective. No, it, there's almost like nothing you can do when they're, when they're that bad, they're just, they're that bad. Right. They're just yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. They're just out. Um, yeah. It's pretty crazy when, when they're this bad. So not, not much we can do about it. I, I find like this is kind of peak peak mosquito right now. So yeah, you kind of lose, you lose a couple of weeks, which is unfortunate, but uh, you know, once we get around to the third week of, of July, then they'll be gone and we'll have the new, we'll have the full moon. And then, once we get out of that full moon, then, then we should be, uh, we should be okay. Um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully they go away. Like you and I went out last year and it was, it was too bad. And anyway, like, like I was telling you sort of outside of the podcast, sort of working on a strategy to try to try to mitigate that, uh, that early nighttime exposure so that, you know, we, we can have a spot that we can set up and, and, you know, and then kind of get out of the mosquitoes for a while and then kind of go back and observe. So, we're working towards that. Hopefully by August, we'll, we'll have a, have a regular, um, what we say, a regular, reasonably dark site. I think that's what I'm calling it. Should be good. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. And then, uh, had some exchange with Charles. I think you were included on some of these. Um, some of these were, were just he and I chatting. Um, he's one of our listeners. I can't, I can't remember exactly where he is, but, uh, we were talking about, um, the David Iker book 
on uh, observing with small telescopes. Um, I, and I can't remember whether he heard me say it or whether he was just recommending it. Cause I think I was, I was buying some books and he, he sort of recommended it sort of in the cross. So I had talked about it. I think we recorded it in the podcast that I bought it. And then he, I think made the recommendation that I should buy this book while it was sort of in flux. <laughs> so I'd actually received the book and then he recommended it. So it worked out well. Um, <laughs> And then he sent me um, a picture, and maybe you can tweet this out, of his. And now this isn't his astronomical library. This is his sort of uh, frequently used text. I have most of these, and some of these are, are really curious uh, for me, and, and I hope to, uh, hope to buy. He's got the Lunar Incognita or Lunar Cognita set. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. He's got some on the moon. I'm not too much of a lunar observer. And then he's got, uh, he's got some other ones. Um, there was one on there. Can't remember what it was. I, I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, it's by this observer that's got some other observing books." And I think I might try to pick it up. I can't remember what it is. What is it called? I think it's by a Dutch observer. Um, Handbook of the constellations. Yeah, that's the name of the book. And then he's got the thousand plus uh, the amateurs amateur astronomers field guide to the deep sky observing. I always wanted to buy that. I think I'll buy that. Um, Hans Berenberg, I think is the author of a couple of those books. I think I want to get. So, so that was cool. And then we also had a chat about what constitutes a conjunction. So, so Charles said, um, he indicated that a long time ago, like when, when he was getting into observing or as he, he was sort of coming into his own, um, his recollection was one degree distance really made for a conjunction. And then I was in my mind and I could be wrong. Maybe it was one degree too. Um, but in my mind, when I was getting going, they were talking about two degrees back in my day of, of getting going. And then maybe conjunctions are getting further apart was my final conclusion, because now it seems like five degrees and people are freaking out. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I really, I really think things have to be tighter in. And yeah, he mentioned the fact about the whole planet debate and astronomy and what constitutes a planet is one of those things. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't try to nail things down too, too much. So appreciated that. Really love the bookshot. Uh, really love the bookshot uh, shot, uh, bookshelf shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. That's hard uh, to say. Leave <laughs> that yeah. in. Yeah the uh, the picture of the books is kind of neat. Um, uh, similar to you, I, I've I've got well, actually, you probably have a few more of those than I do, but I, I think I had maybe half of them. Um, uh, the one solar book is really good. The one that's kind of in the middle of the stack there. Um, I can't quite make out the name of it, but, uh, or like it, it, it solar something. I can't remember, but, uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. Lots of good books there. Yeah. There's, yeah. I, I love seeing people's bookshelves. Like, um, so my frequently read bookshelf is, is very similar, a little bit different just for my own personal taste. I probably have like three quarters, maybe 80% of the books he has there. Um, but I love seeing it because I'm like, there's a, that book looks interesting, <laughs> Um, have a book by that author, but I didn't know a bit, didn't know about that book or sometimes I'm like, is that book worthwhile getting? Like, should I spend like often? I'm well, most of them buying these books used. Should I spend the $5? You know? so, I don't know why in some ways, I don't know why I don't buy more books. They're like the cheapest thing that I buy and I get the most enjoyment out of, I think sometimes I get more enjoyment out of some of the books that I've had than telescopes that I've owned. Um, and, and have, have re-read and reread them longer than I've owned any telescope. So, um, yeah, they can be great. So if, if anybody out there has any good recommendations or wants to send a photo of their bookshelf, I know I would love to see it. I think you would too, Shane. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If people have uh, photos of their bookshelves, send, send them to us, uh, actualastronomy at gmail.com. Um, probably lead to us spending some money, but probably some good conversations too, just about the books. Yeah. Um, and there are good sources for books, um, inexpensive, like, like there, you know, there are expensive astronomy books that is for sure. But, um, the, there, there are a lot of inexpensive books and some of those ones, um, that Charles had on that shelf, um, looked like excellent books. He recommends them. Um, I haven't seen them or, or when I saw them for whatever reason, I didn't buy them or didn't have the money to buy them. And now the books are, are either older or out of print or there's other editions. And uh, some of them are like uh, literally like five or $10. So I'm like, you know, I should pick up some of those. So, so I'll probably, probably do that. Head in, head exchange with uh, Phil from the UK. Um, he had sent you some stuff on small mounts. He was asking me about other mounts. Um, I find like a lot of the mounts are about the same price. That's kind of what I said to Phil is I've never looked through or used a lot of them. Um, but a lot of them are around the same price as the, uh, Skywatcher AZ dash GTI, um, which, which I bought last year. And I think it's a phenomenal mount. I'd, I'd have a lot of trouble, uh, finding another mount, I think for that price range. Um, so I, I, I don't think I, I haven't looked at any of these other ones really. Um, but that's just my own, uh, sort of biased opinion, having purchased that with my own hard earned money. Um, and then looking at the other ones, they look like, they look like derivatives of other mounts that I've seen. And not there's anything wrong with that. It's just, they, they weren't mounts that interested me and the AZ GTI head and I bought it and it blew me away. And I think that's, that's probably the best mount of these smaller and inexpensive mounts. And, uh, yeah, I guess what's in it for me is that I hope people would buy it and then uh, they would keep it in their lineup for a long time in case they need parts or brakes. And I want to buy another one of though, you know, it seems to work pretty good. It's pretty solid. So yeah. 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 yeah I, you know, when it comes to, to mounts that track, I, I don't have a lot of experience with them or, or at least knowledge of the current, you know, what's available, but um, mm. um, certainly default to your recommendation of the uh, AZ GTI for that purpose. That's for sure. It's, Seems like it's one of the better ones at that price point. Yeah, for um, small telescopes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if anything else that you can get. You can throw it on any tripod you already have. There's some really cool accessories for it. I've bought some of them. And uh, it doesn't break the bank. And it does what it is intended to do. And uh, you can kind of customize it to your own uh, needs. Um, good for telescope payloads up to 10 pounds. And it, yeah, it does it. Um, you know, like that, that's pretty cool these days. And there's a lot of videos online on how to tweak it, which I'm kind of thinking about doing at some point in time. So anyhow, well, maybe, uh, maybe we should move ahead, Shane. We're trying to, uh, get this a little bit shorter cause we're, we're into our summer mode here. So we had uh, a really great email from Bob and I, I didn't know if maybe you'd like to uh, read this, uh, read this email from Bob and that will sort of wrap up our episode. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Hey, Chris and Shane, it's been a, a cloudy night after, or, yeah, it has been cloudy night after night in Southwest Florida for the last few weeks. Um, I was hard to believe that after tropical storm Elsa passed by in the Gulf of Mexico on Tuesday, seeing would be quite good, uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, and it was, uh, the eyepieces that I used were 18.2 millimeter, 11 uh, millimeter, four millimeter, uh, all Teleview delights, as well as uh, Teleview two times Barlow. Um, so he goes on to say that 
Uh, I have been observing open and globular clusters in Scorpius and Sagittarius when possible. Uh, this is the first year that I've had my Vixen SD81S. Uh, so I've been looking forward to a night of good seeing. Uh, to warm up, I again viewed M6, M7, M4, and M80, as well as C76 and Scorpius. Uh, globular clusters appear as a smear of light at 34 times and 57 times. However, when I went to 156 times, I could see more detail and a few bright spots that are probably uh, groups of brighter stars in the cluster. I noticed the same thing on M22 in Sagittarius. Uh, the seeing did not support 156 times in that I could not focus the stars to pinpoints as with lower magnifications, uh, but the 156 times did improve the globular cluster views. Uh, I was able to view M19 and M28 with ease. Uh, the M24 star cloud was beautiful and filled the view uh, in the 18.2 millimeter eyepiece. Uh, the best was yet to come. Uh, when I went to M8, the Lagoon Nebula, uh, I was in awe. I was not only able to see the star pattern, but also nebulosity. Uh, the views at 34 times uh, and 57 times were great. I also tried 114 times and 156 times, uh, but 57 magnification seemed to be the best. Uh, once again, I was surprised to clearly see the star pattern and nebulosity in M17, the Swan Nebula. Uh, I tried all of the magnifications, but 57 times seemed best. Uh, in, in, in neither case was I able to see the entire nebula, but I was very happy to clearly see some nebulosity with an 81 millimeter telescope. Uh, it was present in all of the eyepieces, so I believe that it was real. The only other nebula uh, that I've seen this uh, has been the Orion Nebula. Um, I have a 30 millimeter ES eyepiece, but find that with a red dot finder, and the 18.2 delight. I'm able to find the objects that I want to view without much trouble. Uh, I'm hoping to, or sorry, I'm hoping that we have more clear nights this week so that I can really concentrate on the M8 and M17. Uh, Scorpius and Sagittarius are wonderful constellations with so much to see. Uh, I'm pretty new to astronomy, uh, so any advice is appreciated. And then just, you know, send some kind words about the podcast and, and then that Appreciate was it. That. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely appreciate it. Uh, I loved the report. I loved the, um, uh, the trying different magnifications yeah. on various objects. Cause I wrote back know, on that and said that that's the part that I love the most because, yeah. and, and not to cut you off, but I, I find that so often, um, not, not in reports to us, people, people that write us often will do that. Um, but often when you're just reading reports, like on an online forum or something, sometimes people are a little bit light on the details. And then as well, like, I, I think that when people are trying all these different magnifications, you know, I, I think Bob was surprised how much he was seeing, but this is kind of like part of the trick is that you put it on an object, you try different powers, you really kind of sit there and try to suss some stuff out and he's really seeing some stuff. So that's how you do it right there. Like in this, in this email to us, this is how you observe. Well, I think. Yeah, I agree. And, and, um, you know, sometimes I get guilty of, of being lazy at the eyepiece. You know, you find whatever you're looking for, uh, observe it for a little bit and then move on without changing eyepieces. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I think sometimes I probably shortchange myself on the views just by not stopping to, to try a few different magnifications yeah. to see what it looks like. Yeah. Like I know when I observe with Mike, he'll, he'll often have like three or four different eyepieces out. I'm one of the, I'm one of those people. I, I can kind of be more like three eyepiece kind of guy. Right. 
um, trying to trying to switch things up uh, a little bit. I have some different setups I'm working with, a couple Barlows and that sort of thing, um, which sounds like uh, what Bob is doing as well. So yeah, I mean, I think we're all trying to do this. So uh, that's really good. If if he's, it sounds like he's relatively new. Um, this is a, this is an awesome observing session, I think, for anybody. So if he's new and and he's doing stuff like this, then I think he's he's on the right track. Yeah, the only the only thing that I always find with the uh, reference to the Caldwell objects like C seventy six is I'm like, is that NGC six two three one? I'm like, I think it is because that's like a pretty prominent one in uh, Scorpius, and and these are really great objects that that he's given us a bit of a tour of. So I had to like Google like is M seventy six NGC six two three one, which is the false comet, um, and it's an object that I think I sketched it and sent you a. A, a naked eye and a, a binocular, maybe a small telescope observation a, a few years ago. I think it was one of the first things I did when I got my um, FS60. I flew to Nova Scotia and uh, had some really great observing conditions and was uh, was able to see it um, just sitting over the North Atlantic. So pretty cool. But yeah, that would be much, much higher in, in Florida. So I'm jealous of, of those views. Probably a beautiful naked eye object from Florida. For sure. Sure, for sure. And I, I don't know if you just heard my dog kind of coughing there, but if you did, that that was my dog. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Something was cutting in and out. Something was cutting in and out. So, so yeah, I know really appreciate that uh, that observing um, report. And if anybody else has has observing reports they would like to share, um, we really appreciate it, especially when we get into periods where whether for for lack of darkness or for lack of non-biting insects in the skies. <laughs> I saw a bat the other night, speaking of things in the skies, that was pretty cool. Really big. So big brown bat. Very cool. Yeah. When I was observing. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Eat, yeah. eat the mosquitoes. What's that? Oh yeah. <laughs> Eating the mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the only, the only other thing I'll mention, Chris, before we wrap up here is, uh, just a couple things actually too. Um, we, you know, we are entering kind of vacation season, so I might be a little tardy on some email responses. Like last week I was completely off grid. So bear with us through that. If you, if you send something in and, and you don't get a response, uh, you know, too quickly. Um, and then the other thing is we are like Chris mentioned at the start, we are changing up, uh, kind of the schedule for the podcasts, uh, for the summertime where we're just running out of time. Chris and I do a lot of observing and other things during the summertime. And, um, so we may not be dropping the podcasts on the regular, uh, Monday, Thursday routine. It might be like Tuesday, Thursday, and uh, they might be just a little shorter in duration, but uh, we'll still we'll still keep pumping them out, and, and uh, you know we always have lots to talk about. Yeah, I mean we're uh, we're working on some pretty big observing plans in the background, and uh, you know that that actually you know it's good good for our observing, but uh, it does make it a challenge. Like we're recording this on a different night because I've been uh, I've been out scouting sites, <laughs> you know. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're not just slacking off. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thanks, Shane. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>